Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to the special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by the chairman of The Spectator, Andrew Neal, who is one of Rupert Murdoch's editors at The Sunday Times. Andrew, we're discussing the shock retirement of Rupert Murdoch. He's announced yesterday that he was going to be stepping back, as you write in the Daily Mail today, stepping back rather than stepping down, and now being the chairman emeritus of News Corp and Fox. Tell us, why now? I think why now is a difficult question to answer because no one really seems uh, to know why at this particular time. And you're right, it did catch everybody by surprise, which would have tickled Rupert Murdoch. He likes catching the media by uh, surprise. My sense is that it, although I can't explain why it was this week, my sense is that it's a product of where the Murdoch empire now is now. By normal standards, it's still a huge empire in Britain, America and Australia. But by the standards of the Murdoch Empire only a few years ago, it is much diminished. The vast entertainment empire, which was built around 20th Century Fox, that's gone. Disney's got that now. Sky Television, which I launched for him, which became a multi-billion pound operation, that's gone. As well, and he's back now basically with Fox Television and newspapers in Australia, Britain, and New York. And where do you go from there? I mean, where? Because Rupert Murdoch, above all, is a deal maker. He's actually not a great executive. He, he's got the attention span of a gnat, and uh, he, he doesn't really like running things or organizing things, but he loves deals, and he's probably the consummate deal maker of the second part of the 20th century and did some amazing deals. But what kind of deals do you do now if you're mainly in cable television and newspapers, legacy print? And if there's no big deals to be done, you know, when I was with him, he he bought all these television stations in America. He bought 20th Century Fox. He did a deal to start Sky Television. You know, these were deals. He'd only just bought the Sunday Times and the Times. You know, and he, and he loved that. The New York Post be, beforehand. What equivalent uh, is there now of that? I think the answer is that there isn't. So rather than just running a company and bereft of deals, <clears throat> I think he's decided, let's just get out of it now. The real fun has gone I'll still be around. I haven't really resigned, you know, but there's not much more I can do. And of course, uh, you worked with him closely for a number of years. Um, It was interesting to see the reaction in the papers today to uh, the decision. Uh, We read in one Financial Times speech in which you were quoted, uh, News Corp Insider was quoted as saying, he will only stop when his heartbeat stops. He will be there as an influence. How involved will Murdoch now be in what remains of his empire? Well, I think the other surprise, as you say, is that not only was the timing, but the very fact he's done it, because he, he used to say to me that, that he'd have to be carried out in a box, you know, if anyone was indelicate enough to raise the 
idea of retirement at some stage, he would the, the, the very idea appalled him to do that. So I think that is a bit of a surprise in itself. How much this really is the departure of Rupert Murdoch from the seam, as they say north of the border, I hear my doots. I have my doubts about this because I don't think he can really give up. And the so-called resignation statement in which he designates himself Chairman Emeritus, I can assure you he did not come up with that title. But, uh, that is not a Murdoch title. He's not a dab hand at Latin for a start. But he's given himself a title. And that statement talked about he still intended to participate. He was still full of ideas. He would still be in his office late on a Friday afternoon. I mean, I think if you were Lachlan Murdoch and the editors and broadcasters, your heart would sink to think that you never knew when you were now going to have a Friday afternoon call from Rupert Murdoch to complain about your front page on last night's broadcast. So even if he thinks he's gone, and even if he's given uh, Lachlan all sorts of guarantees that it's your show, son, now you're in charge, don't worry about me, he won't be able to help himself. And indeed, I think within what he's done, there's even a bigger chance he's going to start getting involved because now he will know, have no direct executive responsibilities for an $18 billion company. Think how much free time that gives him to pour over the front page of the Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Sunday Times or last night's shows on Talk TV or Fox. It has the potential to be a nightmare for him. I mean, it also, as well as being thinking of the poor editors, it offers us a moment to reflect on what's been a remarkable career as well. 70 years, he got involved in the 1950s when he took over well, with his father's papers. I mean, he was working at the time, I think, in his early 20s as a sub-editor on the Daily Express, which, of course, was owned by the great Max Beaverbrook. So really, Indeed, you know, yeah. sort of... And stand. under the uh, tutelage of the late Sir Edward Pickering, mm -hmm. yes, who became, pick, became editor of the Express... And then when I joined the Sunday Times in 1983, Edward Pickering, Pick as we all called him, was his great consigliere. He had kept him on. So the deal involved in all the deal maker and smoothing yes. things out. And what do you think were the good bits of Murdoch and his legacy? He still obviously mm -hmm. still continue to add to that legacy, but the good bits and the bad bits as well. I know you've written in full disclosure about the Battle of Wapping in particular. I mean, I think the good bits about the good Rupert Murdoch, because mm -hmm. he is a bit like the curate's egg. There's good bits and bad bits. The good Rupert Murdoch was the buccaneering outsider, the incredible entrepreneur prepared to take great, great risks and take on established media, take on complacency, take on those who thought they were untouchable, those who hadn't known the winds of competition for years or ever. And he saw himself as a kind of marauding buccaneer that was taking them on and doing sometimes what was regarded as the impossible. Nobody ever thought you could break the print unions in this country. Uh, he did. Took great courage. Was an enormous risk. He was finished. I mean, we used to joke at Wapping, though there weren't, to be honest, much time to joke, that if the print unions had got in during these incredible violent nights, we had to have a helicopter on the roof. It would be like the last days of Saigon. We had to get out. We had fallback positions of metal doors to protect us that we would have locked behind us. We knew they were going to kill us. And uh, 
we knew we had to get out, and we knew our future in Britain was over if we had lost. And we joked that not only the helicopter would have to take us to Heathrow, and there'd be a jet waiting for us in Heathrow, and we'd go to New York. And he did, and he won. And of course it changed for all those criticising it. There would have been no British newspaper industry if it hadn't been for... You imagine that British newspapers had entered the digital age without whopping? I mean, don't forget, until whopping, no journalist could use a computer. You weren't allowed to touch a computer. You couldn't write your copy on a computer. I mean, it was just bizarre. So he did that, and that, I think, was huge. The way he took on the complacent BBC ITV duopoly with Sky Television, which everybody said would fail. Everybody. I mean, I, as you know, I was the executive chairman to launch it. I was wholly committed to the idea of multi-channel television. I mean, the party we had to launch, it was like a wake. Nobody turned up because <laughs> they were so sure it was going to be a disaster. Well, it was such a disaster that it was recently sold for £30 billion to Comcast in America. So I think if that was a disaster, Britain could do some more disasters uh, on that. The way he took on the established cable uh, news network, CNN, in America. He was told there was no room for a fourth network in America, that CBS, ABC and NBC, that was it. He launched the Fox network, separate from Fox News. There's room for a fourth network in America. That was a good bit, uh, the good bits of, of Murdoch, the way he took on the establishment in that area and was prepared to take great risks to do so. Bet the company as he said to me once in doing so, when we were launching Sky Television, and he was worried that the, the rockets couldn't leave French Guiana because of bad weather. I mean, he did. I said, why are you so nervous? And he said across the phone in New York, because, he said slowly, Andrew, I'm betting the company on this. That's an entrepreneur. The bad bits of Murdoch was where he allowed his wallet to talk in place of journalistic standards. And I think he got carried away with this kind of wild colonial boy anti-establishment shtick and it was all a shtick he came from as near as you can get aristocracy uh, I mean if you met his uh, his dear old mother who's lived to 103 I mean she sounded like the queen <laughs> you, you know she barely even had an Australian accent and even posh people in Australia have Australian accents not his mother you know his father was Sir Keith you know and he came from that he was no wild colonial boy he went to Geelong Grammar it's where Prince Charles went, so, you know, he wasn't the boy from the barrios of Sydney. And I think he overplayed that, and it led him to tolerate, I think, a kind of nasty sort of tabloid journalism, which in the end went down in flames over the hacking scandal, that the kind of culture that do whatever it takes to get the story, doesn't matter who the victims are, doesn't matter what you have to do, beat the opposition, the red-top tabloid journalism, a culture he encouraged... That ended up in the grotesque actions of, of hacking. And uh, I don't think he's ever quite recovered from that in Britain myself. And in America, much more recently, this pushing of the Trump stolen election narrative in 2020 of the voting machines were fixed. It was all, it was a fake election. Pushing that when we know from the emails that everybody at Fox from Rupert Murdoch down knew that not to be true. Knew that not to be true. But they found when they told the truth, the ratings went down, and when they lied, the ratings went up. Well, that cost them... I mean, hacking in Britain's cost them a billion pounds. And rising. The Fox News 
fake election scam has so far cost him over $800 million. And there's another big lawsuit coming down the pike that he'll go down for too. These were the bad bits of Rupert Murdoch. So the good bits I've told you about, and they were great. The bad bits were when he devalued journalism and put making money ahead of journalistic standards. And for all the reasons you talked about, you know, technology changing, the media landscape shifting so much, we'll never see someone like him again, the good and the bad. We'll never see someone like him again I think for personal reasons, I think Rupert is, was sui generis and we'll never see it because of technological change. I think it'd be quite hard to find another Rupert Murdoch who lived and breathed the politics of Australia, the United Kingdom and America. I think it's quite hard to find a media mogul who lived and breathed print, Newspapers, magazines, television, broadcast, movies, who covered the piste of the main media vehicles of the 20th century and did so on three continents. I just don't think, and that's what made him so powerful. Made him powerful with governments in Australia, Britain, and eventually, which was always as Richard Nixon would have said, the big enchilada is, uh, is the United States. And he got there and there. He used to resent at the time he didn't have the purchase, the influence in America that he had in Australia and Britain. Well, getting the Wall Street Journal and Fox News changed that. And he ended up with uh, being fated by presidents the way he had by prime ministers in Australia and the United Kingdom. I don't think you see that coming together again because... The, me the you know, newspapers are in decline, magazines have been in decline, not, I'm delighted to say, The Spectator, however, which is not in decline, which is why Rupert Murdoch wants to buy it. And, and media is now global in a way that it wasn't when Rupert was conquering three continents. Uh, and it's much more atomized. you know, the digital world means you don't need a big newspaper to get your opinion across. You don't need access to uh, tens of millions of dollars of capital, you just need... You know, look, put aside Russell Brand's odious behaviour and what he says. I mean, he's able to reach millions of people because of social media. You don't need to own the Times or the Sun to do that. So I think for all these reasons, he was a phenomenon of the 20th century. And no one came close to him. Even the big American media moguls, the people that own Disney, they had no newspapers. They had very little influence with the President of the United States, even though they at one stage they owned the ABC network. In fact, they still do own the ABC network. You, you take the owners of the New York Times, paper of huge influence, but no big television stations, you know, none of the power that a news channel would give you. He was unique in that sense, in that he used the technology of the day to maximum impact on three different continents. That technology has been superseded by other things, other technology, and I think that means, uh, as they, they say, you won't see his like again. And you talk about Rupert Murdoch having ink in his blood, you know, newspaper man, broadcast. What of his son, Lachlan, who now stands to inherit the crown? Mm. Well, in some ways he thinks he has inherited the crown. I think that's an interim stage. As long as Rupert is alive, Lachlan is protected. Uh, not protected from his father's interference, but protected from the interference of his uh, brother and sister. 
I think that's true. But Lachlan Murdoch will know that this is not a company he created and that he's in this position because his name is Murdoch. I mean, I always thought it was ironic that a Republican like Rupert Murdoch, who disliked the House of Windsor because it was a hereditary dynasty, or as he would probably say now, dynasty, but he wanted to create one of his own called the Murdochs. (laughs) And he's wanted that since they were teenagers. I remember sitting with them teasing Lachlan and and they were just kids Lachlan and James about you know who's going to run the company in the future and that never left him he wanted to create a a dynasty and he's handed that over to Murdoch but you know I think Lachlan has many uh, advantages he's not stupid he knows how to run things but he ain't his father and he didn't create the company and he's only there because his name is Murdoch and I think it's going to be difficult for him, particularly when Rupert eventually goes to the great newsroom in the sky. That's when the brother and sisters will have their say. At the moment, on the trust, Rupert has the casting vote, and he'll use that to protect Lachlan. When Rupert goes, that trust has four people with vote. There are more people on the trust, but only four have votes. Lachlan's one, James is another, Elizabeth is another, Prudence is the fourth, the daughter from his first marriage. Lachlan's a minority in that four, so the rough times have yet to come. What happened this week with Mr. Murdoch standing down or standing aside, standing back, as I would rather put it, is undoubtedly a watershed in the history of the Murdoch organisation. But it's not the most important watershed. That comes with his passing. And this is just the beginning of what I believe will be a great unravelling. The empire is already diminished and as time goes on it will unravel more. The one thing we all know about empires is we sit here in Westminster which was once the heart of the greatest empire the world has ever seen is that they unravel and they unravel more quickly than anybody ever thinks. Thank you Andrew and thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.